Welcome to our new episode of Carpe Diem. I'm your host, Luca Rocchini. Today I'm going to have a chat with uh, Federico Bisi, who is actually living in Berlin, Germany. Federico is an Italian music researcher, composer and performer. His research interests include gesturing music, motion sensing technologies, machine learning and embodied interaction. Federico has composed music for ensembles, film, dance, theater and installations. His work as a performer is centered on a musician's body and the use of movement and physiological signals in electronic music. He actually works and lives between Germany and Sweden. In this episode, Federico is going to share his experience about his music journey, studies in European universities, latest work and the rapidly changing situation as a performer and researcher. Hi Federico, thanks for being with us, how are you? Hi Luca, thanks for having me, I'm fine, all good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, surviving. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so your experiences uh, and work uh, are quite broad, it would be a very interesting conversation. I have many questions to ask you, uh, but Great. first let's start from the very beginning. How did it all start with music, where did the inspiration come from? Was someone from your family or friends involved with music? Uh, did you play in any bands? Oh, well, like, uh, this goes back quite a few years. Um, so, like, as a kid, um, I remember, like, maybe my first encounter with a musical instrument was with a piano that was uh, uh, at my grandparents' place in Tuscany, in Italy. And I remember clearly being very little and actually enjoying like the lowest notes, you know, the keys that went all the way to the left that made those like big sounds. And I <laughs> actually spent most of the time playing like the lower octaves. And then like, uh, I think in elementary school, I started like playing the piano a little bit, then stopped. And during my teens, I picked up electric guitar. And my first encounter with electric guitar was also quite uh, like timely interesting, I would say, because the first thing I did, I remember when I got my first electric guitar was like scratching the strings with like the distortion fully on and making like that kind of, you know, sort of helicopter sounds, very noisy drones that you get when you scratch the strings with a, with a guitar pick. But yeah, then also, you know, I also <laughs> learned the, the major scale at some point and then, you know, started studying like composition and more like kind of canonical like music education while I was growing up, going to the university, doing my, my other studies and all that. And then I got into research kind of like relatively randomly, really. I was working um, like shortly after my master's. I was working on an um, interdisciplinary project with a contemporary theater company. And um, like I was very much interested in this, this idea of uh, music and gesture and like sort of designing gestural sounds and then using technology for um, creating interactions between body movement and sound. And I met like another group 
we, we did a collaboration together and then one of them forwarded me like an email about a, an open call for like research funding for doing like a PhD in music technologies in computer music, specifically in the field of music and gesture. I had no idea even like back then I wasn't even remotely considering doing a PhD or applying for funding for doing academic research in the field of music technology or, or, or sound art or like computer music or, or anything like that. At that point, I remember that summer, I like started writing a project, a research project for like a three-year doctoral scholarship. Uh, and that started my interest in the so-called NIME research field. NIME stands for New Interfaces for Musical Expression, which is a conference that uh, happens every year where like lots of... Uh, artists and researchers meet to discuss like uh, you know new technologies for for making music and from there um, I spent the summer doing research yeah it took me about a year and then I got uh, I got a scholarship to do a PhD in in the UK which which was really great so that was the reason you moved from from Italy basically that was the first time uh, no, it was not the first time. Um, back then, I was I was living in Italy, but uh, before then, I had lived for about uh, two years in total in Norway. Um, I first uh, moved to Norway for a year during my Erasmus while I was doing my undergraduate studies in Bologna. I spent a whole year in Oslo, and uh, and uh, that was a fantastic year. Then I got back, I got my my bachelor's degree and then like during my master's I got like another chance of spending some time there uh, as, as an intern at uh, like a multimedia communication studio where uh, I worked with a photographer, a good friend of mine, Werner Anderson, and I made some, some music for a video of his uh, that dealt with the victims of uh, cluster bombs because he was working for an NGO back then and so I made some music for, for some videos he was doing for a very important campaign. I think I was still trying to sort of find uh, a, a more um, consistent path, perhaps. And, and actually, like, learning about the world of, like, music research sort of put me in an interesting trajectory that I wasn't expecting back then. And, and it made things, like, it sort of made sense at that point. And so... Since then, you've been researching music uh, in, in various universities. Uh, can, can you describe us, describe us about your studies in uh, motion sensing and machine learning? And what kind of gear do you use? Basically, my doctoral studies in the UK uh, at the University of Plymouth in a place called the Interdisciplinary Center for Computer Music Research, the ICCMR, uh, we're focused on music and body movement, in particular the movements of people playing a musical instrument. Basically, my research was divided in three parts, like a part where I sort of try to make sense of the relationships between uh, a musician's body and their instrument. And then I started analyzing this more like in an empirical way, using motion capture, uh, wearable motion sensors, various like you know technologies that are used to capture body movement in various ways, using markers, using inertial sensors, using infrared cameras, and from there um, I did uh, some research to sort of like in a very in very simple terms to like understand more about the relationships between music and body movement and embodiment. 
And uh, in parallel with that, I worked also on some, uh, you know, practical implementations of those ideas for actually making new music. And I used, uh, apart from like motion sensors, also um, uh, physiological sensors that capture the activity of uh, muscles, like the electrical activity of muscles. And the machine learning there is for basically make sense of all those very complex signals that you can capture from, from you know, f- body movement and physiological activity and map them to, uh, to sound synthesis, musical sound and other uh, musical events or even other media such as uh, video or light. And so that was part of my doctoral research back then. I've performed uh, a few pieces that uh, I had composed back then and in, in various parts of Europe also in North America. And yeah, then in 2016, I, I, yeah, I just spent a summer writing up my, my doctoral dissertation, my PhD thesis. That wasn't, that wasn't that fun, actually, but, but you know, it had to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Can you can you explain us like a bit more in detail how works the interaction between mm-hmm. the music that you play with your instruments and the one you capture from and mm-hmm. um, the signals that you capture from body movements how they, mm-hmm. they work together Sure so there are like many ways in which one can you know design interactions between body movements and sound and there's actually a quite lovely community of artists and researchers that that deal with this topic. But in my case, for example, while I was doing my research back in Plymouth, I was interested in, in you know, the relationship between my body and, and the guitar, the electric guitar, which I was playing quite a lot back then. And um, I had worked on some devices that like sort of tracked the postures and, and movements and gestures that I was doing while playing the guitar, you know, like having an instrument in your hands somehow guides your 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 movements in a certain way. There are certain constraints on your body while while you know you deal with musical instruments, and um, and this relationship between the body and the instrument is also something expressive that like the audience can can sort of relate to in a way. It's part of of the music. One of the you know, main tenets of the research I was doing back then, that music is not is is not only conveyed through sound, but also through like kinematic feelings or uh, images of movement. You experience music not just through the sense of hearing, but also through other senses. So it's like a multimodal medium that is experienced through different senses. And so back then, I had worked on this custom guitar with like resonators that changed uh, the sound of the guitar by like feeding back into the acoustic body of the guitar the signal of the guitar itself or other signals and it sort of literally made the whole instrument vibrate so i worked with uh, you know motion sensors that i was wearing and machine learning to track different postures or gestures that i was doing while playing the guitar and changing how the sound of the guitar was uh, responding to my playing in certain situations um, depending on how I was like standing or holding the instrument the guitar would react in a certain way and so you create this sort of feedback loop between you know the body of the player the body of the instrument 
and all the electronics that like sort of hold everything together. Mm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I loved your guitar. And uh, that's, that's the one basically you design yourself, right? Yeah, I assembled it from, from like different parts. I think the year before moving to the UK. And so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a a bit of a Frankenstein of different parts that I sourced. And so yeah, that's my guitar. I don't I I don't feel the need of of getting another guitar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're not working on your research, so you you also compu- compose music for other artists and disciplines, right? So, is any favorite project from the past? Um, or that you have worked recently, you want to tell us? Um, Yeah, let's perhaps fast forward to something actually I've been working on very recently. I edited uh, a first cut uh, just a few hours ago, uh, shortly before we we started talking to each other for this podcast. And um, so this project is is sort of like an interdisciplinary project uh, it's something that I've, I've been working on with um, uh, our research group in in, in Sweden at the uh, School of Music in Piteå, which is part of the Luleå University of Technology. And this research cluster, this research group is called JAM, which stands for Gestures, Embodiment and Machines in Music. And uh, the head the, of this uh, group uh, is uh, his name is uh, Stefan Östersjöa, is a um, Swedish uh, musician and academic and also uh, an amazing guitar player. He introduced me to this um, musical practice uh, of the Aeolian guitar, which is it's basically an acoustic guitar with very, very long strings that uh, are usually tied somewhere like outdoors in uh, like on a tree or uh, or or some other you know relatively tall thing such as like a pole or even a building sometimes and so like these very long strings that come out uh, from the bridge of the guitar like can they can be i don't know 10 meters long or something and they are um, excited by the wind like the wind makes them vibrate and this creates very 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 like fascinating sounds that like I instantly liked there's something eerie about them but also very beautiful it's, it's perhaps and it's also very interesting to play them to play in the olden guitar because you know it's not you making the sound like you sort of have to deal with the wind the direction it comes from and its intensity and sometimes there isn't enough wind and so the guitar is not very loud so you have to be patient you have to listen to the environment so here you know perhaps in our interrelationships now there's like a new element if before i was talking about the musical instrument and the body now it's the instrument the body and the environment and everything is sort of tightly entangled because you know if one of those uh parts uh do not work properly like you know t- nothing happens basically and so like w- what's beautiful about playing the olden guitar is that like it sort of draws you into a process of very deep listening and and careful uh consideration of the natural environment around you and uh so like stefan and i uh, recorded um, 
duo for Aeolian guitars in northern Sweden, in the actually in an archipelago in Piteå, like next to the water. But this is not, you know, like it, it, w- it would have been too easy to just like uh, Aeolian guitar duo somewhere outside uh, in, in Sweden. So we, I had this idea of um, using drones flying around us and carrying speakers. And uh, so which is actually another strand of research of our group. Uh, there's a, a, a dance professor in our group that actually danced with the drones carrying speakers and emitting sound. Um, and so um, the idea there was like to have these like drones carrying small speakers uh, flying in uh, around the, the, the environment where we were when we are playing Aeolian guitars and actually listen to the sound of the Aeolian guitars and respond with sound themselves, which are like synthesized in real time. And this creates like a sort of very interesting interaction. It's, it's very like, I have to admit, it was quite challenging technically, because if you think about, you know, going somewhere in nature with no power outlets anywhere, everything has to be powered by batteries. And then you have to make sure that the wind is strong enough to play the Aeolian guitars, but it's not too strong for like uh, the drones not be able to fly. Uh, so everything is sort of like the, the, the balance is very delicate, but then when things fall into place, it's like a fascinating experience. I was like listening to the Aeolian guitar sounds coming from the guitars I was holding in my hands. Like it, it's, it's also like quite tiring sometimes to play the Aeolian guitars because you actually have to literally pull the strings from like we had tied the strings to a tree and you have to keep them at a certain tension all the time. So otherwise you don't hear any sound. And uh, sometimes like you hold the guitar very close to your ears. And so you hear this like very subtle sound coming out of the the guitar body. And uh, while I was doing that, like I had, uh, you know, a drone taking off behind me and I could hear like the sounds of the propellers and the sound of the speakers that was playing some uh, some sounds that were responding to the sounds I was making with the Olin guitar. And then there was the wind, the water, the sun. And so it was like a very uh, overwhelming experience in a way. And, uh, and it was, it's something, yeah, that I'm definitely interested in exploring further. This is actually what uh, Stefan and I and, and our collaborator at the Lula University of Technology will do in the coming months because, um, yeah, we're planning to present this piece next year at the PTO uh, Performing Arts Biennial, which was unfortunately postponed due to the global pandemic. And how would you call this type of music or research? Can you find, synthesize a few uh, words to call it? Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, like, just to give you some context, the, the theme of that Performing Arts Biennial is um, ecology, uh, site, and place. So, the Aeolian guitar practice uh, also deals with, like, environmental art. So, it is very much... Uh, tied to the environment and uh, to the concept also of, of place. And, and it's very, like each performance is very specific to, to the environment in which it takes place. And so there's like a stronger link with, uh, w- with the environment. So um, 
Yeah, I think if I was to to to, to use a term, uh, it would probably be like ecological sound art. Wow, mm. <laughs> amazing! Uh, so that's one of the the, the extracts that we wanted to listen now, right? Yeah, there's uh, something we recorded back in September, and uh, this is like a short excerpt of like a longer performance that will actually be presented as a multi-channel immersive sound installation in, uh, in, in, in Sweden next year. Cool, let's listen to it. Wow, 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 okay. <laughs> that, uh, that's something, okay. And uh, yeah, um, and he, we're gonna, you, you'll be able to see the video as well, how it's made. Uh, I'm gonna put the link in the episode description below so you can have a look yeah. how, how the whole thing kind of works in the environment. Yeah. Um, now let's, you have another project you've been, working on and would you tell us about yeah yeah this uh like moves away from the beautiful swedish landscape into another landscape perhaps which is uh like uh the landscape of sonic memories to use like a poetic metaphor uh, so this is another research project that i started about um yeah actually a little over a year ago before I started working in Sweden, 
I did a, a brief postdoc, which is basically a research uh, position that you have at the university after you do your doctorate uh, at uh, Goldsmiths University of London in collaboration with uh, Atal Tanaka, who's a professor and his uh, research deals very much with uh, all the topic we, we, we touched earlier, embodiment in music, physiological signals and, and interaction, sound synthesis, etc. And um, so back then I was um, doing some research in what is called reinforcement learning, which is like a branch of machine learning that uh, basically like there are algorithms that try to like respond to a feedback that they're giving in a way to maximize positive feedback so like what does that mean assume you want to teach an algorithm to play a game and uh, so every time the algorithm tries to do a move in the game that makes it win, like it gets like positive feedback. And so it, it learns that that's a good move. That's something that is rewarding. That's something that works for, for the task it is given. But if the move makes it lose, then it receives a punishment. So like a negative feedback. And so it, it sort of understands that that's not the right way of, of you know, achieving the task that uh, it's programmed for. And so like what I wanted to do was to use reinforcement learning to kind of um, help me find new relationships and new mappings between uh, body movement and sound. And so by giving feedback to a reinforcement learning algorithm, I would like generate new mappings, new relationships between uh, like um, motion data from the sensors that I was using to various like synthesizers that um, I was playing with. And so like to go back to the ideas of memories, I collected um, like an archive or a corpus of audio recordings um, that uh, I had uh, collected from like my mobile phone from videos that I had taken like while traveling also from like uh, um, uh, journal entries that I recorded uh, or uh, like from you know all sorts of things like I had piled up several hours of material and uh, so I wanted like to explore this like sonic memories through movement and uh, to also use these reinforcement learning algorithms to help me sort of find my way through this massive archive of, of uh, you know, sonic memories. Back then when uh, I was working at Goldsmiths, I started uh, developing this project that I'm still working on. Uh, and, um, and I like also made a piece uh, that is called You Have a New Memory uh, that, uh, yeah, basically implements these ideas and makes me go through, uh, you know, my recent uh, memories by means of body movement and AI or reinforcement learning. That's something again. <laughs> Very fascinating. Okay, cool. Let's have a listen to it. Yeah, we did it with me. 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 Yeah, we did it with me.
Yes. Yes. add that there's like quite much um, you know uh, fuzz around artificial intelligence lately and music and uh, you know like uh, where like AI stands in terms of you know creative practices and and you know all this like uh, discussion of whether or not an algorithm can make like a piece of art that is actually decent or, or interesting. It tends to be a rather polarizing discussion sometimes, but in my humble opinion, it's worth exploring, you know, these technologies as instruments in a way, like as tools to sort of extend one's practice or, or, or sort of transform it or explore things that 
would be otherwise difficult to explore or like explore things in a different way, you know. And so there's not, in my opinion, there's no risk that uh, algorithms and artificial intelligence will replace uh, human creativity. It's it's just, uh, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Something can be integrated, basically. That's why you want to kind of show. Yeah, or like, uh, yeah, integrated maybe could be a way but like artists also are, are very good at like uh you know hacking things and and make things work in in ways that you know like uh, perhaps designers weren't initially thinking about i mean especially musicians are, are renowned for like being early adopters of technologies and also also breaking technologies for for their own like or or bending technologies to their to their purposes and 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 sort of like redesign technologies for their purposes so like uh, in a way like music for me is also like a very interesting test bed for technologies because like it's such like a complex and yeah it's such a complex medium uh, that um like that also branches out not just like as as we said to sound and other senses but it like stretches out like also to cultural contexts and and so on and so forth like ways people like like listen to music and experiences etc so it's, it's a very complex medium to de- to 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 deal with and uh, and there like you see what actually technologies can or cannot do and it's really interesting then to sort of comment on like the implications of using certain technologies in in music that's maybe a little bit like uh coming from the lesson from john cage is it i mean yeah reusing uh materials that is not made for music and create symphonies Ah, yeah, well, there's, uh, there, I mean, 20th... There are several, for sure. Yeah, 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 there are many. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's a very influential thinker and musician and uh, also, of course, like a polarizing figure, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, him and like lots of lots of the things that actually happened like in the, in, in the middle of the 20th century are, are still being discussed now. So perhaps back then they were more niche and uh, like this whole idea of like, uh, you know... Uh, repurposing sound material like that stretches back to like music concrete and uh and of course cage and also like early pioneers in, in music and artificial intelligence like as well as you know like eduardo miranda is the the, the professor with whom I've, I've done my phd in plymouth and he's been dealing with these things since like i don't know decades like early 90s or i don't even i don't even remember when he started like doing research here and and i think his take on the topic has always been like you know like whatever i get from the algorithm that's something that then i just change however i like and so he never had any problems in in just like uh, adopting this sort of uh, philosophy of, of like getting things out of algorithms and machines and, and just like uh, use them however you wanted. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also interested about um, sound, a very always being into kind of uh, texture of sounds and uh, the, the feeling of sounds, uh, probably over the, the compositions themselves, sometimes myself. Mm. So I wonder what, what is your creative proce- process uh, for both like, kind of sound research or music composition and 
what is your approach to sound? Ah. Uh, so, I mean, like for me, like also thinking about some tracks I've been working on in the past few months that I have not released yet, like um, sound is sometimes it's like it's really the beginning of everything. As I, as I said early, earlier, like also, you know, my first approach with musical instruments was very, you know, it wasn't about the notes. Like when I when I first found like a, a piano uh, at my grandparents place, like I just started hitting the notes that made the sound that I like. Or uh, when I first got my uh, first electric guitar, I had no idea how to make like like a chord or, or like let alone a scale. And so I started like, you know, playing with it quite roughly to get like out of it, like some sounds I like. And so uh, like for me, sound is really the beginning of everything. And uh, perhaps, uh, you know, like even before melody, for me, like like raw sound comes before everything, and 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 that could be also because, you know, perhaps, you know, I, I'm not very good at singing. I don't know. Like I enjoy doing it, but like, uh, so I, I sort of, I don't get drawn or like attracted by like melodies per, because also perhaps of my own limitations as as perhaps a listener or musician, and so like like the way I listen and make music is very much tied to like sort of um, shaping sounds and putting them together uh, and into something that like perhaps even has some sort of narrative to me like it's very raw at its initial states but then it sorts of like through this rawness and the way it develops it sort of tells me a story and brings me somewhere else if that makes sense and that's that's the way that how your creative process works like you, you you find some sounds or some ideas on yeah yeah I, actually a good friend of mine he's is a is a very talented uh, german producer his name is, is uh frieda nagel is um he, re he released some records uh lately check out his music and and um, so it was here uh, at at we were like like listening to some 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 stuff we had recorded and it was like ah oh, it's so interesting like it was commenting on some some sounds i had recorded that he really liked and it was like oh but it's so abstract the way you start uh with a track because sometimes i start like i don't start with notes with a chords or with a tune or with a melody i start like with very you know abstract sounds that come out of some sort of you know weird synthesis process and uh, and instead, like Frieder is is really good at like you know putting together melodies and tunes. He always starts on 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 either his uh, you know his synthesizer or, or his piano because he's also probably a much better pianist than I am. <laughs> and uh, and so like that perhaps this sort of comparison between his process and and my process can give you an idea of of uh, uh, you know what. Uh, like uh, excites my like music creativity, experimenting and try trying out things. Yeah, and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, I mean, also composers that use just like uh, paper and pencil can experiment with raw material. It's just like a different process. It's not that like if somebody just uh, uses you know like traditional music notation it's not that he or she is using like a more conservative approach that's 
that's absolutely not the case. Like there can be quite radical uh, experimentations that just start like on paper with notes and then go on to instruments. It's just like a different process. And uh, so like you can also be, yeah, like extreme also like with those means. If It's just about like, you know, finding like some sort of territory that makes sense to you and that uh, resonates with what you can or you cannot do. And how do you find collaborating with with other artists like you you were describing like uh, does it does it bring something unexpected to you something that you need? That's a good question actually something I've been thinking I mean um I mean to be to be honest so lately like most of my time is um used for research and um so there's a whole lot of time spent like writing or reading or like presenting or uh, you know all, all all things that are not like exactly musical practice in its most like traditional terms if you will and uh and so like to me that part is interesting because it also like uh it's i've always done research like in 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 collaboration with others and uh i don't think i would have managed to complete like for example my thesis if i hadn't collaborated with a whole lot of people in my lab and in other labs uh in in, in other countries like just bouncing ideas to each other uh, is uh, is is necessary like to sort of sometimes it's like a reality check it, it doesn't have to be like a feedback in terms of of like i like what you're doing i don't like what you're doing it's it's there's more to it it's sort of like by just kind of trying to uh relate and explain what you're doing to others you sort of understand more about it you know what i mean like so it's necessary and sometimes like I spent a whole lot of time like on my own now, especially like during COVID, uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, we, we couldn't really like, we, we moved a whole lot of um, work over the internet, like, you know, various like Zoom calls and so on and so forth. And so like, I'm, I'm, we're trying to learn about uh, how to collaborate uh, in, in, in these situations where you're actually alone in a room and, and I sort of like for for quite a while I missed a whole lot of the um, things that happen when you're actually in front of another person and and you don't have to like uh, you know physically distance yourself and so like those things are, are really not marginal and yeah collaboration is extremely uh, is is sort of vital for many things. And so this is also something that has become part of our research. We've done a series of online talks on telematic performance called Physically Distant. And uh, so like we've done a round in June, one in July, and there's going to be another one next week, during which we will talk about various uh, telematic practices that deal with like, you know, music and sound and performance, but also like the network as a place where uh, certain, you know, cultural communities develop. 
during that uh, event, I will also like do a, an online network performance with uh, again Stefan and also uh, uh, the other people of the of our research group and also some guests uh, and like the the you know the sort of the highlight of that telematic performance will be that. Many of us will be in various locations, like I'll be in Berlin, um, others will be in Stockholm and some other in the UK. And we will also interact with this like massive pipe organ uh, that is in a concert hall in Piteå in northern Sweden. And basically the, that massive organ, which is like, it's really huge, um, uh, can receive MIDI data, which will be uh, like sent to it, uh, like through the internet. And... and if you were now researching, um, do you think you would be composing, composing music full time on your own? Would you just make if that? I was, if I wasn't researching, yes, I don't know. Like uh, it's tricky. Like because um, I haven't been like you know full time uh, musician in a while. It's sort of like a bit frustrating because sometimes I feel like that research takes time away from my practice but at the same time it sort of enriches it and and so it's like it's, it's a sort of um yeah it's 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 a bit of uh, uh i don't know what would be the right way to do to 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 explain that but it's a bit of like sort of inner conflict in a way like sometimes i wish i had more time to just you know record more tracks and 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 try to get them out just like more quickly and you know perform more often in a way or the other like because I, I mean now it's you know it's crazy with like covid and the second wave and uh, it's like a, a sort of unprecedented situation for for many artists and musicians but and so like i'm actually grateful to be able to you know to 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 to, to do like to, to be able to work at home and and without having my you know like my activity disrupted by by the pandemic but at the same time uh yeah like i sort of recognize that like time spent writing papers and articles and and uh, all these things yeah it's sort of like enriching in terms of like musical research but at the same time sometimes like uh, I'm like then after that I'm just too tired for uh, for <laughs> I don't know for actually record some music uh, and so yeah it's a bit of like I, th I think I still haven't quite figured out like uh, a balance there and uh, perhaps it will come by itself I don't know and uh, you've been studying and working uh, in, in many different universities in Europe um, what are your thoughts about and what the difference between Let's say the British, German, the Swedish ones, and anything that you like ah. or prefer, or oh, it's all it's good. Some some ways. First of all, like I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I think I'm I'm very. I feel I, I consider myself lucky because uh, um, you know I was given lots of uh, very good opportunities to just you know be able to like uh, earn. A living a decent living by doing stuff I really enjoy doing and uh, so when I did my PhD I was on a full scholarship and so I was just doing that full time and and I mean that was a whole lot of work really like sometimes I would be spending 12 hours in the lab every day 
so like during the last few months even during the weekend just to, to to you know to make it to be able to like to to submit my thesis in in time especially lately uh there are less and less opportunities for doing uh like that kind of research funded and it's become a lot more uh competitive and there are like less scholarships and there's like a whole lot of disruption now uh, because not just because of covid but like there are also other situations that sort of made the like let's say international research landscape change quite much there are still things like and and i don't want to discourage anyone by saying this so like i think that you know if you try you keep on trying and trying like regardless of you know uh rejections to applications or whatever then at some point something will happen i myself it took me about a year to get a scholarship so things can still happen to this day and um in the uk like things feel a little bit i mean i i'm i I still collaborate with uk universities and people and i think like the uk in the past few decades has been like uh, an extremely important uh, place for uh, for music research, for like also new ways of carrying out music research. It's like really some some institutions have done pioneering work, and that I don't know. It's it's difficult to like overstate the importance of the work that uh, research institutions in the UK have done in the field of interdisciplinary research in the arts. Um, but like now things are a bit a bit more like it, like uncertain not just for the pandemic but also you know the whole thing that happened with Brexit which actually happened during my final year at the uh, University of Plymouth it was really dark because like yeah like the mood was awful lots of people didn't know what what that would mean for them i don't know it was really like um sometimes i i, I remember that time when i was back there back there and it, it was like really shocking for many of us because you know in our lab we were about 10 people and like there were of course british people people from ireland from france from from you know italy from luxembourg from it was like it it was and is a very international group of people working together and like the fact that that happened sort of uh, kind of felt like some kind of existential threat in a way and yeah so things i don't know i don't want to sound pessimistic about it like hopefully after this all sort of slow motion shock because you know it's been like six no what four years four and a half years since the 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 referendum happened and things are still very uncertain I, i i i'm kind of confident that after a few years thing will stabilize in a way that the UK will not lose its its, uh, role in the international research landscape. Regarding other countries, I mean, like Sweden, that's a wonderful context for doing this kind of research, is one thing that I really like about Sweden and Norway as well, or especially, like, especially actually the research group that I'm in right now, is that there's like a push for like also um develop methods further like uh to look at like how research is being carried out and like what artistic research actually mean like actually being 
so one can do research by observing, uh, you know, music being played by other people, and 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 so like and do some sort of empirical research on like you know music happening in in front of you, like observing and or listening to like music being played. But like artistic research is also an option. Like by being a practicing musicians, what can you learn about music itself? You know, and so like making artistic practice in research a sort of more established method i think like they're doing great work in sweden right now and that's important because it sort of gets uh, artistic pl- practice closer to 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 academic research which is in my opinion yeah very important and uh, is is there any other place that you would like to to work live or research in the future uh, or too many <laughs> So uh, now I live in Berlin, which I like very much. Uh, I mean, it's uh, once again this is a strange period also for Berlin because, uh, like, uh, like the other day they announced the first curfew in 70 years <laughs> because of the pandemic. And so I don't know, like, if and how the city will be transformed by this period. But I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Like, um, I you know I I like what's going on here and I like the people. I have met here and and there's uh, there are many things that sort of make me feel at home in a way and uh, so yeah right now like for the past what uh seven years or so like I traveled quite much and I moved quite a lot and so now I'm I'm, I'm sort of more inclined to explore what it means to sort of like stay in a place for like a longer period and get to know uh, you know, people and communities a bit better and like reestablished some kind of sense of belonging. And so, yeah, this is what I'm after now. I think it'll take some time and I'm not sure, you know, like it might be here, it might be somewhere else. Like, but I'm not too interested in like, I don't know, moving to like another city for, for, uh, for exploring. Like, uh, uh, of course, uh, I st- I'm still very much interested in exploring, uh, in in traveling and getting to know, uh, you know, new people, new places. But like, I kind of, I'm kind of interested now in sort of finding a place where I can go back to and feel like, okay, like I belong here. This is where I do my thing, and this is where I am, who I am. <laughs> yeah, probably Germany yeah. and Berlin is not a bad place for that, uh, especially in this moment. Um, yeah, hopefully. And. Um, I wonder, like, uh, it's already talk about your collaborations, your new type of collaborations here under the pandemic at the moment to kind of modify, but is is also your approach to work kind of changed because of this, or the pandemic, as to adapt? The the performance I mentioned earlier, uh, yeah, I mean, radically, like, I think the first few weeks, like after uh, I went to a conference in Norway, it was February, I think I don't remember. Like then when, you know, the whole restrictions started and I was getting all the news from Italy, like the situation was very bad. I don't know, I kind of felt very depressed about the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I recognized that I was in a situation where, you know, like by being able to work from home, I was sort of like privileged in a way because, you know, I wasn't as badly hit uh, by that situation as other people may have had but still like I don't know it was impossible to plan anything Uh, like the first online meetings felt awkward and 
I sort of felt very tired every day, like, because, you know, always, like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was a bit of a shock. In, 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 but now, like, like, the silver lining to all of this, perhaps, is that we're sort of trying to learn uh, how to use, you know, like, the best of, of, like, both ways of working, like, the sort of the pre-COVID way and, and uh, more, like, physically distant way and speaking of like how my my process changed my working life changed that telematic performance that i'll do next week wouldn't have happened if the pandemic hadn't happened i mean we were talking about you know using the organ for a network performance and all also you know telematic performance has been going on for like decades as well and it's not it's not something that that started because people couldn't meet in in, uh, in venues anymore. It's something that has been going on for ages. But in my specific case, that sort of changed, uh, like it sort of made me ask myself questions about, yeah, like practice and how to like, you know, play with other people uh, in, in this situation where like, uh, you know, I'm stuck here at home. And also it, um made me more interested in learning more about you know how people are doing things now but also how uh like lots of communities have developed their own artistic practice over the years through networks and this has been going on for many years before like all these restrictions also like the live coding community or like uh, intermediaries done using the network since like they're they're like examples that stretch back decades uh, that are very interesting and so yeah this is also something that made me want to like uh, discuss these topics more like the whole idea of starting the physically distant talks was you know sort of a way of reacting to this stress and 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 depression caused by this this uh pandemic and so like being able to spend hours together with like other academics and musicians and, and artists and sort of like trying to kind of understand how that affected our process and our, our way of working more than process and, and and what we can learn from it and, and what perhaps we can share with others in order to, uh, you know, kind of share like the, the good things that we have learned with more people. And, and yeah, so that's why like, you know, we open these talks to like to everyone to join and Usually we also leave a whole lot of time for a, like open discussion. And um, have, have you been able to perform live as well? Yeah, well, uh, I think yeah. Next week uh, will be. Uh, What's your yeah. memory memory project? Ah, yeah, that of? one. Um, I've been working on. Um, uh, online version for it and uh, but haven't quite like I, I sort of prototyped it and i might yeah i might do it uh probably soon i sort of have to yeah because now i've been busy with that network performance with the organ but like the the memory piece um actually its development uh um yeah is, is still um uh, i think it, it'll go on to the network eventually yeah but you you haven't performed. No, yet. I haven't performed no. it yet on the network. No, uh, yeah, I think the first uh, the the first performance, like fully networked performance, I'll do is probably the one that is uh, next week. 
yeah, because the other ones were mostly, yeah, like research work and, uh, you know, things that uh, are not like entirely live. Like, I mean, the greater part of my activity moved online, but uh, I think the first live performance that I'm going to do is next week. Whilst like other people in my group have been doing this uh, a lot more than I. Last question. Uh, I will also interested to know about, you know, how, what's the approach of other countries um, to help artists and venues during this pandemic time. So what's, what, um, what do you know about uh, Sweden in Germany? Like uh, what's been their approach artists, venues complaining about or kind of uh, like... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a big deal. Um, and I've been talking about this with other especially with like freelancers here in Berlin. Uh, so in Berlin, the situation has been much better than in other places. Like uh, the like uh, the, um, the local government supported artists like a lot with, you know, uh, like important uh, sums to, 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 to make them you know, to like basically make them able to survive through like, you know, months of, of no income, basically. And that was great. And there's, uh, there's also some, what I can see now, there's also something going on regarding preserving venues, although that's challenging, uh, because like there are so many in Berlin. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I know that it's like basically like the both the local and the federal government acknowledge that uh, these places are like very important and that's great although it's not entirely sure how many of those places will actually survive this whole mess because probably some won't survive anyway because it's just like i mean it's extreme like they've been closed for 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 ages now so we'll see at like at the end of the tunnel how things will be like and this is a bit worrying because like certain venues in berlin are not like it's, it's like i wouldn't i wouldn't you know like file those places under entertainment it's like it's it's, it's really like it's culture it's life it's like like you really see people that like go there like as as they would go i don't know like sort of to the gym or to yoga it's something that you just do to feel good it's not something that you do to like uh, to to be like occasionally entertained is something that is uh, as part of your life as, as like eating and, and going to work you know and and so it's really not something marginal it's something that that uh, that m- makes people who they are and it's very important yeah it's also for uh, kind of mental health basically like you know, yeah yeah absolutely the life is Abs- just working it's not yeah it, it, yeah lose a bit of meaning you know and no, uh, develop and research and but uh, what do you know what's going on in Sweden instead because they have pretty radical different uh, yeah um, um, yeah I don't know okay so like Sweden is um, I mean like yeah they have a different approach that's true do they leave the venues open there like? uh, no uh, so I haven't I haven't hung out in in, uh, in in Sweden a whole lot at night, but I was told by a taxi driver that basically clubs are open, but you have to sit at a table or something like that, which 
I mean, for me, it sort of defies the purpose, but... So yeah, there are some restrictions. Uh, it's not like all uh, open. Um, uh, some, uh, I learned some like important venues for like jazz or experimental music have actually shut down also there, like because, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't just make it. They couldn't, yeah. And, and for like, you know, uh, an area like, like Sweden or Scandinavia where like, you know, it's big, but there are not so many people. And also the the scene itself is very niche. Like losing a single venue is, is like a, a half catastrophe already. Um, and so, yeah, there are problems there too. Um, so it's, it's all very uncertain. Like on the other hand, like Sweden is coping really well with other things. And like, you know, I'm working there. We're making things happen. And uh, like... Yeah, you know, it, it, things still work fine. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's it's very difficult to give, you know, like uh, to summarize the situation of a whole country in a few words. Like uh, certain things seem to be okay, certain others uh, are very uncertain, certain others are actually not very good. So yeah. All right, Federico. I think uh, we can close with this. Uh, thanks mm. for the chat today. Hope we enjoyed as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, sure. Um, yeah, I didn't want to end uh, on a sad note, you know. Like, uh, yeah, I, I'm actually uh, uh, optimistic that things, yeah, will get better, hopefully, everywhere. But yeah, it was very nice talking to you. And uh, yeah, I hope I'll, uh, I'll see you at our next telematic performance. It'd be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, and I'm, I'm mm. sure what we were learning these days uh, mm. with the pandemic will kind of, in the future, mm -hmm. uh, will improve. You know, uh, our work at the end of the day. So it will, it will kind of change and modify. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's a period of time, and we will see. Yeah. But we need to build zen that's what i'm telling people that's uh we need time it's about time yeah and yeah be careful yeah i agree like uh, i totally agree with that like there's uh i'm actually like ironically um ironically i'm i'm reading a book about zen now <laughs> <laughs> so i think uh, yeah cuz uh, i was reading a lot of like more like this topic stuff uh, that was perhaps like that was uh, they, they were contributing to, to the overall anxiety. So I switched to Zen uh, lately, and uh, you know there's this thing that uh, you know this like the situation of course is 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 terrible and like there there are people like let's not forget that are like people are dying are getting sick and 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 it, it's not it's not just a lockdown it's really like. You know, people also losing their friends and family, and, and it's it's really it's really tough for many. But uh, having had like a little bit of time to just like walk around and think about things, and like you know, like in Berlin before COVID, I was always like, I almost had these like FOMO things, like fear of missing out the next event, the next club night that is really cool, the next uh, festival, the next exhibition the next talk that I wanted to attend and I was like oh my god like like um, um, there's this thing happening there there's this other thing happening there and and that all of a sudden stopped you know and and uh, in a way like there were some positive sides about it and 
some obviously lots of negative ones no questions about that but there were also some positive sides about like sort of like freezing everything for a second and uh, uh, and and that's something that perhaps like yeah um, could learn something from I'm not entirely sure what but maybe we can yeah we, we, we all need kind of a bit yeah. to slow down and reflect yeah. and maybe just to learn to be more ourselves and you know yeah. that's just or maybe it's more the time to give yeah or maybe get. you know like uh, start a podcast or something <laughs> yeah. here we go yeah. all right thank you all right thanks Luca um, thanks, thanks a lot to know more about Federico's work you can check his website um, link in the episode description and for your weekly or almost uh, episodes don't forget to follow and share Carpe Diem on social media. You can listen uh, from all the main streaming uh, platforms. Uh, find us on uh, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, CastBox, and Stitcher, and many more. Or uh, find the links at the website, uh, carpediem.podbean.com. And please leave a comment and a review. It will greatly help us to rank up uh, in the searches. Well, I hope you enjoy our chat today. Until the next one, ciao.